It be too late to alter course, matey. And there be plundering pirates lurking in every cove. And mark well me words, matey. Dead men tell no tales. <laughs> the code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from scottartis.com. Arr, I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlminute.com. Thanks. Forgot where I was from for a minute there. <laughs> <laughs> and you've forgotten your name before. <laughs> It's just all just, it just all works together. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for minute 61 of the Curse of the Black Pearl. We've extended our stay at Goonies Minute and we'll be there until next Tuesday, basically spanning episodes 81 through 86. I let Heather out of the gibbet just so she could join us on that. So check it out and a big thanks to Brady and Chris for the invitation. As far as parts of the Caribbean Minute, just go ahead and hit that subscribe button if you like the show. For some reason, I noticed this week things are getting delayed in iTunes. All was working well, and now the new episodes aren't appearing in a timely manner. But it does its job when you are subscribed, so you don't have any worry about them popping up. But for some reason, if you're just going to the iTunes store searching for a podcast, yeah, we're not necessarily showing the latest one on there. It's always like a day behind or a couple days behind, and I had to do some manual work there to get them to refresh it up. So I don't know what's going on there, and I'm not sure why our latest episode isn't appearing for the day that it's released, but all I can say is, blast those dirty bilge rats. Maybe we need a sick Barbosa on Apple. That's true. We could do that. <laughs> Send them a curse over there. Yep. I also wanted to give a big pirate shout out to Cynthia Hurt. She bestowed upon us a tidbit regarding sword making, something we tackled way back in episode 25. Now that we're in episode 61, 25 seems like it's a galaxy far, far away, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, you Star Wars referencer. Ah, <laughs> oh, the good old days. <laughs> episode 25. In the episode, we are doing a little off-the-cuff conversation, sharing a few things we found on blacksmiths and swords. I can only imagine Heather dropped a few euphemisms. And I'm sure I was as captivating as always and entertaining everyone with my astounding knowledge on antique arms and armory. Just one of the subjects that I excelled at while attending the University of the Self-Taught. I think the euphemisms are more entertaining than your <laughs> fake history. Ah! Fake history? How dare you, woman? You clock hat you. That's the second time I've used that, I think, in our, our pirate word or phrase of the week. So that's I think good. it's the third. But there's always room for additional information on slicing and chopping weapons as far as I'm concerned. So Cynthia says, currently I'm reading a book by the sword which goes into the history of swords, duels, and fencing. One section stated that blacksmiths were very secretive about the formula of what minerals they infused in their iron. So most time they work in the night, which you mentioned, so they could see how hot the iron ingot was in order to work on it. So no one would know their secret, especially how many times they folded the steel over upon itself, making a stronger steel. So that, I think you were the one who was actually bringing us some of the sword-making details. Yes, actually. I was uh, self-taught. <laughs> you attended the University <laughs> of Self-Taught. Unfortunately, you didn't graduate, though. No, I'm a I graduated. No, you didn't. You definitely didn't graduate. Because I'm in charge of the University of the Self-Taught, and you didn't make it. 
But anyways, thanks, Cynthia. You're our pirate correspondent of the week. Glad you're enjoying the show, and thanks for the information. Yeah, thank you, Cynthia. So with that said, how about we get into the minute? Aye. In the previous minute, a swashbuckler, Pirates of the Caribbean ride, supernatural film mashup comes to fruition. And I got excited. Oh, why, you ask? Why? Well, thanks for <laughs> yeah, thanks for finally going into my trap and doing what you're supposed to do. Now, I'm going to tell you why. Because you know I'm all about the bones, about the bones, no flesh. I'm all about the bones, about the bones, no flesh. I'm all about the bones, about the bones, no flesh. I'm all about the bones, about the bones. Yeah, it's pretty clear. It's so scary. The swan can't escape like we want her to. Cause the monkey's got the gold that all the pirates chase. All the moonlight in all the right places. Ooh. Ooh, so sorry about that. I completely forgot where I was for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I was just busting out some Pirates of the Caribbean karaoke. Good job. I didn't know you could sing so well. That is. Thank you. I can sing very well. But yeah, I'm so sorry about that, guys. I probably just killed everybody. But yeah, that's my ode to... I was so wrapped up in the skeletons that I just had to bust out some song. Oh, that's pretty awesome, actually. So in the previous minute, actually, now that we get back to where things really should be, Elizabeth Swan stumbles onto the deck of the Black Pearl and gets one hell of an eye-opener as the cursed skeleton crew is engaging in the typical duties one just might find on an 18th century ship. In awe of supernatural situation, she manages to take flight a couple of times thanks to some canvas and a rope and eventually finds herself back in the arms of Barbosa. Minute 61 begins with Captain Barbosa finishing his line with, Living and so we cannot die, but neither are we dead. As the skeletal crew gathers around, For too long I have been parched of thirst and unable to quench it. Too long I've been starving to death and haven't died. The minute ends with Barbosa telling his crew to get back to work and Elizabeth Swan crouches in fear in the cabin on the Black Pearl. We make a final cut to a sunny dock and a pirate in a tricorn hat, just as Gibbs begins to say, feast. Dot, dot, dot. Glad your threat didn't hold, or you said you were going to get rid of that. I was going to take away the dot, dot, dots? Yeah. I didn't. Yeah, that's because you didn't make fun of me singing that. <laughs> but like I said, I forgot where I was, so I was just out in the open. It's something for the Friday, so if everybody can go, man, that guy is just so talented with his singing, they're probably going to sign him to a contract and a record contract and all that. Yes, his singing, his facts. Walk the plank. Yesterday you asked about motion capture on The Curse of the Black Pearl, and I hemmed and hawed and said I really didn't know, but that I thought it wasn't a big part of the visual effects or perhaps not used at all on Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. But you were wrong. Well, I was kind of wrong. Oh, okay, good. I'll just say that. I was just that. guessing. Really? <laughs> nice. <laughs> You're the only one who wants me to fail. <laughs> well, I spent the last 24 hours pouring over all the information. Industrial Light and Magic is actually just in the Presidio, which is just up the road from us in San Francisco. And I was about to pop over there for all the answers to my questions. But then I decided to call up my friend George at Skywalker Ranch. We were all set to have lunch. And then that's when things got a little messed up because he remembered he was working with stormtroopers on target practice. So I ended up staying home to do some online research instead. So instead of right from a source of somebody who helped found Industrial Light and Magic, I am here with you now with some internet research instead. So instead of an adventure, 
You stayed on the computer. Yeah, I didn't. You know, it's like, man, he's always bugging me to go to Skywalker Ranch. And I was just having to do a favor for Spielberg. And so I really didn't want to have to hassle with it. And it was a little rainy today. And, That's you know, right. going out and that stuff, especially driving around in the city, is just not good. That's true. So instead, I found and went to a direct source from Disney. So Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl broke ground in terms of visual effects. And ILM was tasked with replacing parts of actors, or actually the whole actors, complete in some circumstances. And even more impressive was the fact that this was largely accomplished without motion capture technology. Seriously? Yeah, they said Johnny Depp did a bit of performance capture for part of a scene at the end. But in general, it was just a very small part of what they actually did for this movie using motion capture. Wow. Yeah, so this is what, what you were talking about. You were they... asking about the track ball or the suits with the yeah. like the ping pong balls or the balls on it that they could track. Because that's a lot. I mean, they've got all those skeletons doing all kinds of stuff on that on that deck there. You know, that's right. It's amazing they didn't use motion capture. You'd think it'd be easier. Well, I I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say with the time though because this is two thousand three, and I'm trying to think back. You know, how well it was. Oh, I didn't think about that yet. But there were definitely some movies that were at the time. I think even like Lord of the Rings was out at the time. And they did a lot of motion capture with Gollum and stuff. But anyways, I wasn't quite satisfied with the details that I got from them. Because it really wasn't very specific. So I ended up going... Huh? That Disney. That's right. I ended up with way too much information after all was said and done. And perhaps I still have a lot of unanswered questions still after going through it all. And then I thought we should probably actually tackle a Curse of the Black Pearl visual effects bonus episode at some point because there really is so much going on and they did make a lot of history and innovative techniques that happen that then spill over into Dead Man's Chest, which is the second movie. Oh, okay. But basically it comes down to a bit of motion capture and none of the main actors did any motion capture except for Johnny Depp, as I mentioned. And that was just for a small part at the end of the movie, which we won't spoil now. We'll go ahead and bring that up when we finally, well... 80 some odd minutes from now we get to that scene so i did track down some footage though which shows a very brief clip of the previous minute and that's the one you were talking about with the pirates scrubbing the deck Uh uh-huh and i'll actually post that to our new listeners group there's also some photos floating around but most of the photos i found were for dead man's chest when they made a leap in the motion capture technology as i mentioned and allowed actors to leave the motion capture stage and actually Act on the real sets or outdoors, for instance, with the specialized capture tracking suits. So, so it's but, about three years after. Well, yeah, it is that. So but it's a development yeah, so they out there too. They did that, yeah. So before, and I think that's probably with Lord of the Rings. They were on a motion capture set where they were doing that. So it wasn't like out on a ship where they were doing oh, some of this stuff yeah. out in the free environment. This was in a special set where they could track all this stuff okay. and were doing the acting. So they had some actors or stuntmen on the motion capture stage doing some things like swabbing or scrubbing the deck and even walking on sand because we walk differently on sand as people than we do on hard floors. Right. So it would look different. So there's a spoiler. Skeletons are going to walk on sand at some point and you'll notice that and we'll talk about that when that comes as well. But the video, it's just a really short clip and you can join our new listeners group today and you'll be able to see that clip. But it's actually of, it shows a side-by-side comparison of the... Guys scrubbing and swabbing the deck. And then they had some just extras or stuntmen that were actually in the studio or this motion capture stage in the trackball kind of suit, tracking suits, doing the scrubbing motion. So it wasn't even the real actors like Pintel and Rigetti that you see doing that. It was actually other actors because they were just essentially getting the movements down. Right. 
that's the kind of stuff they ended up doing with motion capture on this particular movie. It was just small bits to capture mannerisms and gestures along with the articles of clothing and hairstyles from the human forms. Full 3D scans of all the actors were made, and for some scenes, the skeleton's behaviors, like I said, were enhanced with motion captures of actors or stuntmen that were doing some of the performing. In most scenes, however, it was an animation technique, also like matchimation and rotoscoping. What's rotoscoping? Yeah, I didn't know either, and I had to take a look at that. So apparently... It's an animation technique that's used by, well, animators to trace over motion picture footage frame by frame when realistic action is required or when they wanted to block something out in the particular film or allow animation depth, if you will, in a live action sequence. Like, So you have an animated skeleton here, for instance, but yeah. it walks behind the mast of this set. Okay. They would need to block that out or it walks in front of it or something to that effect if it's going in between objects. They would have to paint around that so the animation, the skeleton, could actually walk behind it. Oh, You understand okay. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So it's all like a layering effect in Photoshop is the idea is that they would paint over some of these layers and animate over. That way, skeletons and things could walk behind some stuff in front of other things, and then that way it was blocked out or Basically, not blocked out. Basically, you're making layers on film. Yeah, it's kind of, you can say that. Exactly. Yeah. And in general, what they would do, because it wasn't motion capture, so instead of having somebody in a motion capture set or a stage with the tracksuit on, we just call right. it a tracksuit, the capture suit, they would end up filming the scene twice. And this is what we talked about with Elizabeth, too. So once would be there with the actors or the stuntmen, and they're doing all their thing in their kind of full pirate outfit, if you want to call it that. And the other one was essentially a blank set with no actors, but maybe things were moving like the capstan or the wheel so that they would have those turning yeah. to simulate some of the movement when they're capturing the film and filming that scene without anybody there or maybe just Elizabeth. And then what they would do is they take that first plate or that first film set and they would be able to use that as a reference for animators. And then on the second one, they could use it to paint the skeletons in the shot. Oh, okay. Or do those kinds of yeah. things so that they could put animation in there. And then also, once they had a clean plate or a clean kind of film that they wanted, they also would use what they called matchimation, and they would meticulously copy the actor's performance onto the CG character using very tight this very tight process of matchimation, which is really the idea of animating a 3D model to match a real element in the film so the animation can react to it. Does that make sense? No, not really. So the idea is if you wanted to animate somebody being on fire and the actor is then running around trying to put out the flames on his arm or his body or something like that. The yeah. idea is that you're tying the animation of the flames to that particular actor in the film. So okay. it tracks with him. It moves with the actor. Okay? okay. Imagine if I'm on film and we wanted to animate some fire on myself because you really don't want to light me on fire. Huh. Well, I'm Heather does, sure but <laughs> okay. other people don't. Some days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So then I could be running around and the fire would follow me and track me and, and stay on me and would react to the way my body is moving. Okay? Yeah. So what they would do is that they would then take the actor who's doing the scene and then they would make the animation of the skeleton, the CG skeleton, uh -huh. and they would basically fit it over... The idea is that they could fit it over or match it to the actor's movements. So the skeleton then was taking place or reacting and doing what the actor was doing. Huh. So like, it's like it's like motion capture, but with animation and without the actual motion capture. It's tracking what is happening on the film itself. 
So did is that like what they did with Rigotti and the hot pan? The yeah, that would be similar to that exactly because, like Elizabeth said, that was all CG. There was no embers or anything that fell out of that. It was just empty. Opening that up would be that machination process because those embers then react as it falls onto him. Right. So they can kind of outline him or say, you know, this is how what his kind of body is or three-dimensional thing. So then it falls around him and actually looks like it's interacting with him when right. nothing's yes. really there. Yes, that's correct. Very cool. Before I go overboard or way overboard, as I said, we probably already talked way too long about some of the special effects just on a regular episode. Yeah, but it's kind of really interesting, actually, because you don't think of all that when you're watching the movie, you know, of how it all comes together and how they do all that stuff. Yeah, that's why I think Disney is pretty proud that they didn't use at the time a lot of motion capture. Yeah. Because it was a lot of new techniques, especially they did a lot of new innovations and had a lot of proprietary work, at least Industrial Light and Magic, of creating believable looking clothing. Because it just wasn't clothing, it was a lot of giant coats and things that would have to sway on these pirate skeletons. And it was like all ripped up too, so it also had that extra step in there. Yeah, so it you really know? was a big process. And that's why I was saying that it'd probably be a good idea to actually have a visual effects kind of bonus episode on this. Because yeah. we could really dive deep into it. And maybe we could actually get somebody who's an expert on this or be able to provide some information. And then that would be a pretty cool show that they could comment on it or talk about how a lot of this works. As opposed to me trying to attend the university that's self-taught and then bring all that back here. You're going to have your buddy at Industrial Light and Magic I don't know, George, you know, he's just not really into the day-to-day operations Uh anymore. It's like he just kicks back with his billions and just sits there. Man. I know. I guess the real moral to the story is, besides my close friendship with George Lucas, (laughs) is that there is a smidge of motion capture in The Curse of the Black Pearl, but probably not like we would see in the movie coming up, Dead Men Tell No Tales, or even what we see in Dead Man's Chest, actually. Okay. So that we can talk about when we get to that movie, but you'll see some photos out there of them in those kind of tracking suits on the actual pirate ship set because they were actually, with the technology, able to get off that motion capture stage and get into the real life sets and outdoors to do this stuff. Oh, okay. Wow. And as I mentioned, Friday is the day we are launching our listeners group, and we essentially went with the audience votes. The majority were for an incarnation of the Cursed Crew name. And after we made an announcement on Adam's Bilderat Brigade suggestion, some popped up, or at least a few votes for that. But in the end, I really caved to the will of the scallywags out there. And I think we're just going to go with Pirates of the Caribbean Minute Cursed Listeners Crew, probably, is our listeners group. That sounds good. I like that Just do that. Yeah. And then that way, it appeases everybody. And then we'll we'll obviously have to uh, give Adam a high five, though, or some other special recognition for his awesome name. Because I was really (laughs) fairly partial to the Bildrats. Yes. I'm I'm called a Bildrat every day. That's probably why I think it's my nickname. So It is your nickname. I was just really like, oh, this one's named after me. But, oh, the listeners. I even got your mom to start calling you (laughs) Bildrat. So I guess we should actually just... Now get into what's happening in this minute after all that. (laughs) You want to recap the minute again? I forgot what's going on. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm all about the bones. About the bones. (laughs) They're all, oh God, no. Why would you even mention that again, Heather? You're going to get hate. Send all the hate mail. She made me sing that to Heather. I love it. So apparently... You gotta sing it every time now. No. I was actually expecting more of a reaction. I don't think you realized that was me singing it at first. I I 
Not at first, but then I'm like, that sounds awful lot like him. See, you were afraid. You're like, that could be a really like a big pop star singing that. That's exactly what I thought. And she didn't want to hurt their feelings. Exactly. Because she doesn't care about my feelings. (laughs) No. I mean, Bilge Rat's my nickname for God's sakes. Of course she doesn't (laughs) care about my feelings. We've been together too long to care about your feelings anymore. There's no need to get violent. (laughs) Why do you have to hurt me like that? Remind me of that? That's like a slap to the face. So apparently there's been a long debate on the internet. Is there anything that is not debated on the internet is my first reaction to that. No. But it revolves around the particulars of the curse. Do you know what I'm talking about or referring to, Heather? No. It's the question being, do the pirates or the cursed pirates feel? What's your opinion oh, on this? Oh, I'm thinking. Well, yes. When Rigetti gets the hot coals over his head, he was screaming in pain. Ow, 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 you know. Yeah, I think he says hot, hot. Yeah, Yeah, something something like like that. that. And then I think, I mean, you didn't see a whole lot of emotion in Barbosa when he gets stabbed. But I think he feels some. He seemed to have felt some. You know, he kind of flinches a bit and is like, you know. Yeah. So, but he's got to be strong and act all tough for Elizabeth and not think she actually did something that harmed him. Yeah, so the problem seemingly arises from the fact that Barbosa says in the past couple of minutes, and in this one, that Mm -hmm. for too long I've been parched of thirst and unable to quench it. Too long I've been starving to death and haven't died. Drink would not satisfy his thirst. Food turns to ash in his mouth. Nothing would slake his lust. Can't feel the wind on his face or the spray of the sea, nor the warmth of a woman's flesh. And he says he feels nothing. Then we have... Just what you said, this paradox, it pops up. First, the one comes up is with Jacoby. He's the one who Will Turner hits in the back with the axe. Yes. And then he falls over he and looks dead. actually goes down, yeah. yeah. And then, well, we think he's dead. Yeah. And then the second one is when Elizabeth drops the hot embers on Rigetti during the attack on Port Royal. He yes. jumps around and says it's hot, which is like yes. you were saying. Then there's even a couple others that pop up later in the movie, which we can address when we get to that point. We'll point those out. So my question is, what's the deal then? What is your thought on that? Because there is a lot of debates. I mean, there's debates in forums, on Reddit threads, and then there's just many other questions and answer sessions debating this question. People seem to be really confused by it. And even the gold standard of all things Pirates of the Caribbean, the Pirates of the Caribbean Wikia, even says he feels nothing, or the pirates feel nothing. So do you think... Yeah, but even the guy, you know, when Elizabeth's spinning the wheel, and it pops his head all whopper-drawed? I mean, completely back, and it kind of messes up his jaw. He's got a bit of discomfort there. Oh, I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, you you notice he's got a bit of discomfort as he's readjusting his whole head and jaw and everything. He acts like it's it's a bit discomfort. Maybe it's just, it's not like pain like you and I would feel. Maybe it's like their body reacting, like when um, the guy goes down when Will hits him with the axe. Your body's automatic reaction. They feel maybe their body's reaction, or maybe it's just the shock of, because they are human. So do they feel, so maybe it's not that they feel. Maybe. Or maybe they just feel pain. Maybe, or maybe it's just the normal reaction you would have to these things happening to you. Yeah, so that's one of the... So I didn't really want to get into all the theories out there, but that is what some people think, is that maybe it's just a natural human reaction. Right. Is when colds are dropped on you, or it's like when something happens and you expect it to hurt and you say, ow, and then you realize it didn't hurt. So some people think that. 
Others are thinking it's just a movie mistake. And so it shows up on, say, movie mistake websites or continuity errors and these kinds of things. For myself, I say that they really just feel pain or unpleasant things. But then there's Barbosa. He, you know, you said he flinches and I didn't really notice it when he gets just stabbed a, in the chest. Little, so he might kinda... maybe does a little bit. And then we see something later on with Pintel in a similar situation to Barbosa in his reaction, which is not really a reaction. So all this controversy here around the curse, but we do know that they bleed, which is important for lifting the curse. Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they feel anything. I'm voting for the, I'm going to place my vote. It's the natural human reaction. So that's what some you people think. You would expect think, uh, the coals to be hot. So you would say hot, hot or ow. Yeah. When it, the guy goes down, when Will hits him with an axe, that's a natural reaction. You would automatically, well, was, he threw it pretty hard for one thing. He would go down uh-huh. and we don't know how long he was down or anything. We thought he was dead, but I think it's just a, a more of a natural reaction. As I mentioned, there are a number of theories out there, people talking about it or debating the different parts of this curse and the flow with the movie or if it makes sense or if it's just an error or mistake. And then I decided, why am I looking at this when I could try and go to the source again like I did with the special effects? Yes. And that way, then maybe we could just discount all these other theories and then we could just tackle some of these other paradoxes that I don't think can be really explained so easily coming up about the curse. So maybe it fits, maybe it doesn't. But basically, Disney said that they do feel pain. And it was just a short and sweet and there was nothing very satisfying about it either. It's like the curse. I couldn't be satisfied with this. So if Disney says so, then I think that's it. And then we can extrapolate from there that it really does mean they feel unpleasant things like pain, thirst, hunger, and lust. Because Barbosa does say that he feels that there's hunger there, that he's thirst. So he feels those things. He can't quench that stuff. He's been starving to death for years. and Yeah, so that is a feeling. So I think that nothing, nothing satisfies those feelings or those urges. And they just keep nagging at them and they're uncomfortable. But all the good things Barbosa wants to feel like the taste of an apple or the breeze or the salt air, that just doesn't happen. So it's all negative stuff. That's right. Is what they feel, all positive stuff. Well, that's our extrapolation because Disney doesn't say that. They right. just said that they feel pain. But from what Barbosa's saying and what Disney's saying, you kind of get there and say they feel the negative stuff, but not the positive stuff. Yes, and so that's why you have... Uh, Rigetti jumping around with the coals or the embers on him. And that's why you have Jacoby going down when he gets hit by the axe. And Pentel when he gets hit in the face with the... That's right. And when he gets hit in the face with the bed warmer. Yes. So those are some of the things. Yeah. And then there's some other things coming up that we can point out. Because there is one that I'm thinking of specifically that doesn't quite mesh with this. And then that may get into your theory about just the nature of things. But... It's also like you say with Barbosa being stabbed, maybe it's any kind of feeling whatsoever is at least something that he knows he's still alive. Ooh, that's a really good point. Right? I mean, if well, that's even really if it's a negative feeling, it's still something he knows he's still alive. Yeah, so that's the... Well, that comes up in this minute because he says... That they're neither, what, living or dead or something like that? I can't think of the phrase right now. We are not among the living, and so we cannot die. Neither that, so are we he, dead. Yeah, so, and then neither are we dead, he says, right? Yes. So they're walking that plane in between. Yeah. 
And so by him actually being able to feel pain, at least he still He's, knows that he is alive and he still has some of that humanity left. Yeah. And that's why he doesn't do a whole lot of reaction to it because at least he's feeling something. That's right. Tell him, yeah, you're oh, still alive. Uh-huh. And maybe it just depends on the way you're taking this. And Barbosa takes the curse differently than Pintel and Rigetti. The different way they even think. Barbosa's going, at least I feel something. Where Rigetti and Pintel are, they don't want to be hurt. Yeah, that's you interesting know? though. I think that's so depending like an on interesting the... point in the movie of how that still, that's what they're holding on to currently yeah. in their humanity. Yeah. And it just kind of depends on the yeah. type of person you are, how you uh-huh. react to that pain. Yeah. I mean, when he gets stabbed in the chest, I assume it's just because it doesn't deter him and he felt it. Yeah. And he's a hardened pirate and he shook it off without so much as a flinch. I mean, if he had fallen over and flinched, then it would have kind of taken away from the whole scene and he wouldn't have frightened Elizabeth. Well, he kind of stops for a second, like almost like a shock type. Well, I got to imagine that even after 10 years of having this curse on you, that if you still get stabbed like that, that it probably, it's not something you just forget easy. Your reaction is, oh my God, I've just been stabbed. So he still has some sort of reaction to it. Yeah. But it's not... He's not agonizing in pain type of thing. But like I said, maybe it is because it's at least feeling something. Yeah. Well, there we go then. I think we've nailed the curse down. So Disney said it was. And so I guess they do feel pain. But we'll have to just extrapolate that they have that with other things too. And we'll see what happens when we move along in the movie. And definitely anybody else out there can let us know their thoughts and theories on that. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, all the usual channels. Or our new listeners group that... Should be open and available at least sometime on Friday. Not you guys that are listening at midnight on Friday. (laughs) But at a reasonable hour, definitely, it should be up and running. And I'll have that all sorted out and ready to go for today. Sometime today. By the end of the day. Well, if you post at midnight, it makes sense. Yeah, there you go. We have a catchphrase alert here, too. Or at least I think it's one. And I'm not really sure. But he says, Barbosa, by that I mean he... You best start believing in ghost stories. Mm. I mean, is that, do you think, I mean, I'm not really sure if that's elevated to a catchphrase status, but it's definitely one I think of it's pretty, and I use. Oh, yeah. But what do you think? I mean, maybe it's not a widespread one. Yeah. It's like a baby catchphrase. Baby catchphrase. Yes, I agree. Right? I mean, yeah. I think it's pretty well I, known. I, and people, I've used it, actually. So, well, we're the only two people that really matter. Exactly. Is we're setting the gold standard here on Pirates of the Caribbean information. Yeah. We say it's a catchphrase. It's a damn catchphrase. We say they feel pain. Yeah, that's right. There you go. So now everybody in the listeners group, the newly formed listeners group, can go there and say, no, you guys are wrong. And we're part of the listeners crew. (laughs) And everybody has a vote in the crew, right? Yes. An equal vote. But that doesn't mean you guys can all just pile into our cabin and hang out there. No. The cabin is off limits. There's different rules for the captain's cabin. (laughs) Heather is the only one allowed. Scott's in the basement. That's right. That's how it works. But (laughs) everybody else can at least stay on board and be part of the cursed listeners crew. (laughs) So we have another alert here, too. I really took the alert thing to a whole new level by having our catchphrase alert. And now... We have a little alert noise. Dee, dee, dee. I think we have one. I knew that our Foley artist would step (laughs) in and do that. But it's a film cliche alert. So after Barbosa swigs some rum and closes the doors behind Elizabeth... He throws a bottle onto the deck and starts to laugh. Then all the crew begin to laugh. And then he basically tells them to shut up and go back to work. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Have, have you seen this in other movies, this kind of situation? 
Oh, I can't. I it's, couldn't it's tell you. It's the evil mastermind cliche one, we've yes. seen in movies. You have to have seen this. Yeah, I couldn't tell you which one, but I. I oh, come on. You can't even come would, up with one? What, well, what's okay, let me tell you this one. The parody of this type of cliche with the mastermind or the evil guy laughing and then his his minions laughing too is probably best executed in Austin Powers with Dr. Evil and his henchmen and henchwomen when he's laughing. Yeah. You don't remember that? No. Really? Uh-uh. Well, I don't know what to tell you then. I don't know. Pirates of the Caribbean Minute is looking for oh, a new Oh, when host. they're at the table? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. They're right there and there he's laughing. And doesn't and he then... dump the... First guy, number one, or whatever he calls him. Or number one. What does he call him? What does he call him? Number two. Does he call him number two? Because I was thinking that. (laughs) Okay. No, what I was thinking of is when you said minions is despicable me. Well, of course, that's where you're going. But we're actually talking about. (laughs) mastermind and henchmen when they laugh and then the yeah. other guys laugh and then he says basically stop laughing now cut it out and go no, back to work the same thing happens in in despicable me okay he gets upset with the, he tells the minions to stop and he goes, see it's a cliche yes there you go that's all of my point was <laughs> now go back to work yeah that's what it's like and like i said i took this to a whole new level with the alerts so i couldn't just leave it at one alert or two alerts i had to actually do three alerts it's a Pirates of the Caribbean ride reference Aww. alert. And I figured you'd probably have some information on that. So I'll let you do it. Well, you see Barbosa's drinking wine or, or rum. rum, whatever. Yeah. It, it's red. So kind of, I think wine because it is red. Okay. And it's kind of trickling down his body. Well, so you see this in the Dockside Tavern in the ride. The pirates are actually drinking wine or rum and the that you can see the liquid is actually going down their gullet. Yeah. So it's the same. What was the name of the tavern in the ride? Dockside Tavern. Oh, I never knew it had a name. Yeah. That's why I got to go back the on Dockside it The Dockside Tavern. Very cool. Yeah. So yeah. it's a direct inspiration yes. that's taken from one of the vignettes on the ride. And then they put it in this yep. movie for that. And they're kind of sitting cool. on the bar at the tavern. and Yep. Sounds good. Since I mentioned Goonies Minute earlier... Well, that we're on Goonies Minute this week and through episodes actually even into Monday and Tuesday of next week. We discovered from their host, Brady, who said there's an apparent Pirates of the Caribbean ride in Goonies connection. According to his information, some of the rope and rigging that was being updated or traded out or left over from the ride was actually used on the Inferno, which is One-Eyed Willie's ship. So it's kind of like the seven degrees of Pirates of the Caribbean, at least the ride, is that you're getting some crossover and they're sharing some prop stuff if you will to be on a pirate ship in another great pirate themed movie yes that's pretty awesome actually and i didn't have much else really to talk about in this particular minute except for the final cut to the dock and i don't know if you had anything else before we get to the actual end of that minute nope i don't have anything else actually so the light and the dark symbolism is what hit me first thing you know we've talked about this idea a lot in the movie and here's another perfect example of this the black pearl scene on the ship is dark and then it also just so happens to include scary skeletons yeah but the next immediate scene is cut to a daytime setting and what i can only imagine is our return to the three amigos on tortuga especially since we do hear gibbs start to say feast so we will have to really wait to find out for sure what's going on but definitely a great use of casting characters into their 
particular light and dark corners, if you will, because right. we've seen Barbosa and his crew. It's at night and the full moon, the ghostly element, the supernatural. And always shrouded the in nightmare fog. stuff. And then we come back, yeah, and we are in the daytime with our semi-heroes, <laughs> our pirate <laughs> heroes. We'll call them our heroes. <laughs> Will Turner's there, so that makes them the yes, heroes. Yes, they're heroes. So Gibbs I thought I would just there. point that out because we have been seeing a lot of these light and dark symbol symbolism elements that are coming up. So yes. it's pretty cool. What character scene you're going into, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the introduction to a particular scene. You see nighttime, you think, okay, this could probably be a Barbosa yeah. pirate crew scene. We're just seeing daytime again, especially right after we saw the, the all the skeletons for the first time, and then it cuts to daylight. We know that this is kind of like a safe place, if you will, or yeah. with our heroes, and maybe we're going to find something out that they're coming to try and rescue Elizabeth. Or having a feast. <laughs> or having a feast. <laughs> we don't really know yet. It's Friday, and we should probably ditch the symbolism, at least temporarily, because it means, as dictated by the Pirate Code of Brethren, we need to share a favorite line from the last five episodes. Our really bad eggs? In our really bad eggs segment. Well, the devil's reflection were really bad eggs. We got the hottest yo ho! Yo ho! Yo ho! Yo ho! Heather, what do you have for us? So, since we were on Goonies this week and part of next week, I kind of picked out something that would remind that reminded me of Goonies. Oh, very cool. Okay, this is Barbosa's line. There be the chests inside the gold, and we took them all. And this reminds me of Oh yeah, this was my dream, and it didn't come true. I'm taking them back. Taking them all back. <laughs> A Goonies reference line that I've remembered ever since the 80s when I saw this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that reminded me of our Goonies and the time. Oh, we're yeah, on this one. This one right here. This is my dream, my wish, and it didn't come true. I'm taking them back. I'm taking them all back. <laughs> Where's the gold, Mikey? Oh, there you go. Oh, my last one. Ye intruders beware. Crushing death and grief, soaked with blood of the trespassing thief. There we go. This is Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Oh, that's right. Not Goonies. I don't know. Something about that always just captivated <laughs> me as a kid. That was like my first probably pirate, what I thought was a real pirate saying or something. Or just was a cool rhyme, I guess. They have good lines in Goonies. Yeah. Really good lines. Now look what you've done. You got us railed onto Goonies. I Anyways, know. anything else you wanted to say about that? No, that's it. That's why I picked my line for this week. Sounds good. Mine has to be, you best start believing in ghost stories, Miss Turner. You're in one. As I said, we're only going to get rid of the symbolism for a little bit because I always got to come back to the symbolism. Even when I was on Goonies Minute, I had to drop some symbolism stuff. So for me, this line is actually the twist of the movie. The pirate, the swashbuckler movie that we're getting here, turns out it's also a ghost story, so to speak. We've had people talking about the legend of the Black Pearl, the crude by the damned, and captain by a man so evil that hell itself spat him back out, that kind of stuff. And now it's all come true. It's a reality, at least a reality for Elizabeth. I also like the fact that Barbosa delivers this line to Elizabeth. Since a little girl, she wanted to meet a pirate, to be in a pirate story. Now she's in a pirate story, and it's not the romantic thing she anticipated or read about. She's finding out that, wow, maybe they're going to actually sacrifice me to lift a curse. And it's not really all the stuff that daydreams are made of, <laughs> but are nightmares. So it kind of gets us back to the light and dark thing. And this really, this whole idea, this line kind of tells her that she's in a nightmare. And then I can only imagine that she's going, 
my God, my dad, Governor Swan, and Norrington were correct after all. I don't want to meet a pirate. <laughs> She's all, blast them. <laughs> so that's what I have for that. That's awesome, actually. So do you have anything else for the minute? No, I think or that's it. Or for the it. episode, I should say. We'll be back on Monday with Minute 62 of The Curse of the Black Pearl on the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Until then, let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. And the grog a pouring. I'm bringing medallion back. Go ahead and tell the Aztecs that. <laughs> <laughs> What's that, Banjo? Heather's been drinking at the Faithful Bride Tavern? Take me to her, buddy. Blimey. Passed out in the mud with the pigs? Again? This sty is your second home. Heather, wake up. The show's done and you're supposed to tell everyone where they can find us, where the after party is, and how their voicemail may be featured on the show. Banjo, get me a bucket. Hey, Scallywags. While Banjo's getting some water to wake up Heather, it's time I say thanks for listening. If you like the show, give us a review on iTunes. It helps us out and we greatly appreciate it. Have a question or comment? Give us a call at 8637Pirate. We just might play your voicemail on the show. You can also give us a shout at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. And don't forget to join the post episode brawls on Facebook and Twitter. If you're interested in our best of clips, you can find us on SoundCloud. All the links are at blackpearlminute.com. It's that easy. <laughs> <laughs>